Well, I hope you had a very nice Christmas, and uh, I'm looking forward to 2021. <laughs> We're kind of hoping that it would be better than 2020, aren't we? Often, at the end of the year, you take a moment to look backward, and you take a moment to look forward. And if you're like me, you have no desire to look back at a lot of 2020, and you're really looking forward to 2021. I do want to take a minute, though, and look back to 2020 and see something that it brought us, something that is potentially more deadly than a pandemic. That sounds strong. That sounds maybe a little dramatic. But uh, I want to talk to you about it and maybe give you a remedy. No, I want to give you a remedy for this thing that uh, may have entered your life in 2020. Now, we're going to be looking at a number of Bible passages today, and we're going to begin with John chapter 1, verse 45. And you can use the Bible app event, or use the Bible app if you'd like to. Look for an event there, and you'll find the passage of Scripture along with some notes. That's a great way, an easy way to follow along. There's this, I was reading in the news, and there's this new show on BBC that describes itself as kind of taking their cues from 60s and 70s BBC shows in how to produce a show. And so it does a lot of the same kind of thing that uh, Monty Python did and that Faulty Towers did, but this show centers on everything going wrong that can go wrong in a stage production. I mean, you see the actors coming out and falling off the edge of the stage. You see them having props come in late or coming in broken or breaking while they're there. And and the things that are to lift them up into the sky or move them here fail and drop them. And, And it's what I would think of as slapstick comedy. And when I think of slapstick comedy, I think that was almost in my mind born of Charlie Chaplin over 100 years ago. And it was perfected in the Marx Brothers more than half a century ago. And I think to myself, how is it that a show that is built on slapstick comedy, that old kind of comedy, how is it that it has developed what the newspaper article I read said, a legion of fans? How is it that in today's competitive market, is that place uh, or that show garnering so much viewership? So as I was reading more about it, I read that something that the director and co-founder said about his show. And I just want, to, I want you to read what he says. I'll put it on the screen here. He says, we just try to be as funny as we possibly can and write pieces that are devoid of cynicism. Did you catch that line? Pieces that are devoid of cynicism. And it sells. It's immensely popular. It has a legion of fans. And when the, the guy who's responsible for it, when they say to him, what is your secret? And he, he says this, he says, we're not cynical. We are without cynicism. At first, I was kind of dumbfounded that he saw that as the distinction. But as I gave it a little more thought, I realized that cynicism, while it does attract some attention, it can't hold attention. Now, there are different kinds of cynicism. Maybe some of it is good. For example, one might say cynicism could be the opposite of gullibility, and nobody wants to be gullible or be seen as gullible. So that kind of cynicism, that might be good. But that's not what I'm talking about today. For our purposes today, cynicism is not the opposite of gullibility. The opposite of cynicism is faith, hope, and love. And as far as 2020 goes, cynicism seems to be the flavor of the year. And you see it all over the place. I mean, you see cynicism toward government. You see it toward religious leaders. You see it toward religious people. 
You see it toward younger people, all those millennials. And you see it toward older people, hey boomer, all that cynicism that comes out. You see it toward uneducated people and you see it toward educated people. And honestly, it's really nothing new. When I was just a little, little boy, too small to be aware of this concept, there was this kind of slogan. It was almost the slogan of that generation before mine. And it went like this, never trust anyone over 30. Cynicism. It's not new, but it's damaging and it's incredibly prevalent. Damaging. <laughs> Cynicism takes its, its toll. If you're a salesperson, you're selling something and you're cynical about the product you're selling, you're not going to sell very much of it. And if you're a spouse, maybe a husband or a wife, and you become cynical about the institution of marriage, hmm, your marriage will suffer. If you're an educator and you become cynicism about the children, the, the students that you're working with, it will take its toll on your teaching. However, if anyone has the right to be cynical, it might be you and me. I'm going to say this statement. <laughs> we, like no generation before us, that kind of statement seems like, really, Steve? Really? We, like no generation before us, have been bombarded with disinformation, with lies, with information that is intentionally set to be divisive, with ideology that separates us, with political mistrust and even hatred, more than any generation before us. And even marketing fraud. Hello, I'm calling about your car's extended warranty that's due to expire. You've had that call. And that can make you cynical. That kind of thing will take its toll. But those external things are not really the source of cynicism. I want to talk to you about maybe the real sources of cynicism. And I would say to you that, that it's important to know the source. I grew up on a farm and our water came from a spring. And from time to time, something would go bad with that water. And dad would go down and investigate because he wanted to know the source of the contamination. When he found the source of the contamination, usually it was surface water that was getting in somehow. He took care of that and eliminated it. I want you to know the source of contamination in terms of cynicism. What is it that, that makes us cynical and where does that come from? And I would begin by telling you that cynicism is really a defense mechanism. As a teen, I worked at a truck stop, and then after that, I worked at a restaurant along I-80. After that, I worked in a garage. I worked for National Fuel Gas Corporation. I worked at a brick factory. And in all of those jobs, as I was working those jobs, the old-timers had the very same stunt that they pulled on uh, the new guys. They would send you down to the parts area or over to this place or that place for something that didn't exist. In the garage, they might say, hey, New guy, go get us some blinker fluid, would you? Hey, go get us a muffler bearing, or how about a sky hook or a, a wire, a wire stretcher? Can you get one of those? And uh, I think I fell for that. <laughs> I know I fell for that, probably more than once. And then I stopped falling for it, because I became a little more skeptical when I was sent for something with an odd name. And to defend myself from being hoodwinked, I began to doubt, to doubt a lot of the things that the guys that had been around a while were telling the new guys. Sometimes the hoodwinking is just innocent. Sometimes in life it's more serious. 
often pastors, people who work with the public, social workers, become cynical about human beings because they get scammed. I mean, the worst scamming that I was ever involved in, I was a victim of, was one time um, someone came to the churches in the community I was in, and they said, hey, I have this prescription for drugs, but I don't have any insurance coverage, and I don't have any money. I wonder if I could ask you guys to pay to have my prescription. I've, I need to have this medication. Would you pay to have, it, have that prescription filled? And we did. And we, we wrote the check to the drugstore. <laughs> Guess what? That was a forged prescription, and we were part of that scam that happened there. And that kind of thing tends to make people like you and me a little cynical when the next person comes along, whether their need's legitimate or not. Cynicism is a way to protect ourselves. It's a defense mechanism to keep ourselves from being ripped off or from simply being embarrassed. A defense mechanism. Another source of cynicism is that cynicism tends to be an easy way out. <laughs> cynicism lets you avoid the hard work of discerning truth from fiction. Cynics tend to see things in black and white. That's purely good and that's purely evil. And for the most part, it's all purely evil. Think of how you see different people responding to conflicting issues in our society. And when they hear about it, how they respond. Oh yeah, well, that's the New York Times that wrote that can't believe anything the New York Times says. Cynicism. Or the other person says, oh, that's from Fox News. You can't believe anything from Fox News. Cynicism. Frankly, this easy way out of not really discerning the information as it's presented, but maybe just writing it off initially, that's actually the lazy man's way of thinking. Living in an ongoing state of cynicism takes a lot less energy than weeding through the details and trying to find the truth and believing that there's nothing good in the world anyway. It doesn't seem to involve a lot of issues. I'm sorry, it doesn't seem to involve a lot of energy or risk, but it does. I want to read to you what one writer wrote about this. He says, It's easier for the cynic to live in a perpetual state of outreach and denial than to admit there is any good in the world. Eventually, persistent cynicism becomes accepted as a substitute for wisdom. It is a poor substitute. Indeed. And cynicism is kind of the lazy man's way. Now, as a Christ follower, I can't help but realize that another source of cynicism is the enemy. That Satan never wants me to trust anything that is good. And he constantly works and tries to keep us from trusting God, to make us doubt him and to disbelieve in Jesus. <laughs> this sounds like a funny sentence, but one of my favorite cynics in the Bible, <laughs> isn't that a funny way to start a sentence? One of my favorite cynics in the Bible is Nathaniel. If your Bible's open to John chapter 1, verse 45, which we had on the screen a short time ago, that reference, you're going to be able to see there in three verses where a man named Philip, who has been introduced to Jesus, comes to his friend Nathaniel to say, hey, well, let me just read it. In verse 45, it says, Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about who the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asks. Come and see, says Philip. 
I love Nathaniel's crustiness, right? He kind of reminds me of a crusty old man. He reminds me of my Uncle Bob, honestly. (laughs) Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Had his cynicism been even stronger or more deeply rooted, he may not have gone with Philip, and he may never have met the Savior. The enemy, Satan, he would have been quite pleased with that. I personally believe that a lot of the misinformation that confronts you and me today is a tool used by Satan to build hearts of mistrust in human beings around the world. That's why when I post something, I work hard to fact check myself because I do not want to be his pawn in propagating propagating misinformation. I don't want to be part of the problem. These are some of the sources of cynicism. And when you think of that, it kind of moves you to think, so what's it going to do? What is the outcome of cynicism? Where does this kind of cynicism lead? And we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, uh, in just a moment as we address that. First off, cynicism can lead to bitterness. It can turn your heart into that of a bitter old man or a bitter old woman as you age. Research indicates that bitterness can lead to long-lasting anxiety, that bitterness can lead to depression, that it can lead to vengeful acts, wanting to get even and then acting upon that, making life more difficult for everyone, including yourself and your loved ones. Bitterness can distract you from the joy that life is offering you right now, and it can keep you in a kind of bondage, a bondage to whatever it is that has made you bitter. That's why the Bible really warns us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 about bitterness. It says to us, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Bitterness, it is not an outcome that you want in your life. It is an outcome of cynicism. Cynicism can also lead to loneliness In a moment, we'll look at Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 31. Before we look at that, I just want to remind you, no one has to tell you to social distance yourself from a bitter, cynical person. You do it automatically. Even bitter people don't like each other. Growing up, I had a neighbor, a man in his 80s, who I would classify in retrospect as being a bitter old man. One day, my dad said to me, I was probably in my early teens or maybe even a little younger than that. And my dad said to me, hey, Wayne said that you never stop over and visit him anymore. What's up with that? I knew the answer. I was coming to the age where I I saw his bitterness and I did just by instinct didn't want to be around that. So somehow I communicated that to my dad and I expected him to say, Steve, he's a lonely man. You can take a day here and there during your summer vacation and visit him. And my dad would have been justified in telling me to do that. But my dad didn't do that. He said four words to me. I don't blame you. (laughs) Bitter people become lonely people. I'm not advocating that you shut them out of your life. I'm advocating that you don't become one of them. Because they suck the life right out of the party. They suck the life right out of people. And so the Bible warns us in Ephesians 4.31 to get rid of bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. 
Cynicism can lead to bitterness and bitterness to loneliness. And cynicism can lead to conflict. We're going to see an example of that just in a person spoken of in John chapter 12, verse 6. But did you ever notice how some people just seem to be looking for a fight? They're looking for an argument. And there's a lot of things behind that, but one of the things might be cynicism. I want to talk to you about Judas for a minute. There are a lot of theories as to why Judas betrayed Jesus. And the Bible doesn't come out and say, here's why he did that. Probably because his motivations were multiple. Do you ever wonder what conflict must have waged in his soul that made him do that? There are probably several contributing factors. Some say he was politically disappointed in Jesus. Maybe. Maybe he was trying to force Jesus' hand. Let's get on with the kingdom here. Maybe. The Bible says that he was greedy, even a thief. It says in John chapter 12, in the second part of verse 6, that as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in him. He stole from the other disciples. He stole from Jesus. You don't steal from someone that you trust. You don't steal from someone that you believe in. Something I realized recently is that the Bible never indicates that Jesus, I'm sorry, let me say that sentence again. Something I realized recently is that the Bible never indicates that Judas called Jesus Lord. Now, he might have done so, but the Bible doesn't indicate that he done so. He would refer to Jesus as rabbi, which means teacher, but not Lord. And I wonder if he was skeptical about Christ's divinity. And did that skepticism finally turn to cynicism about Jesus, leading to his arrests, to his trials, to his crucifixion, to his death? The conflict of the ages. Personally, I cannot think of a time that cynicism has brought about the peace of God, the shalom of the Messiah. But you and I can both think of times that cynicism was the root of problems, even in your own life, even in my own life. So what is the remedy for cynicism? I would direct you to Romans 14, 13. We're going to read that in just a couple moments as I prepare to offer you three suggestions if you want to be rid of cynicism in 2021, or at least deal with the cynicism that you have. First, because cynicism is often born of personal injury, you might start by forgiving those who have injured you. When Paul is talking about division in the church at Rome, In Romans chapter 14, he counsels them to stop being judgmental toward their Christian family. And if you've ever had another Christian judge you unjustly, I'm not talking about the Christian who says, hey, buddy, I see in your life you're dealing with this issue. Can I pray with you? I'm not talking about someone who loves you and wants to help you. I'm talking about someone who judges you and wants to condemn you. If that has happened to you, you know that is hurtful. And you know that you will develop a defense mechanism to make sure they don't get the chance to do that again. In Romans 14, Paul says to those in Rome, he says in verse 13, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put a stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Stop judging one another, he says. Because judgmentalism, condemnation, often creates in the object who's receiving it a defense mechanism. And remember that we said defense mechanisms are part of the source of cynicism. 
So if you have been judged, what do you need to do? You need to forgive. I've told a story before. My mom used to say that her sister, Frances, had become jaded when she was just a young woman, had become cynical, there's our word, about love. And she told us that Frances never married because she was hurt by a boyfriend early on in life who had broken her heart. And that bad breakup can leave you cynical about love. Past injury can leave you cynical about life. But but you can get over that. You can get over it when you're be when you're willing to begin to leave the past behind and that will involve forgiveness. So I'm going to transition <laughs> like the guy said to the pastor, you're moving from preaching to meddling. That's what I'm going to do right now. I want to tell you that if you want to be free of the cynicism that you picked up in that divorce, you're going to have to choose to forgive. If you want to be free from the cynicism that infected your heart at that point of abuse in your life, you're going to have to choose to forgive. If you want to be free of the cynicism you have about life, you're going to have to choose to forgive because I know no other way to see healing come to that injury than when you choose to forgive. And I know this is a hard thing. I know that from personal experience. Cynicism is a defense mechanism. It is in our life. It is in my life for a reason because of these wounds that I have. I don't want to risk being hurt again and I don't want to forgive. But as long as I will not forgive, there is a sense in which that wound still rules my life and that cynicism still perks on the burner of the stove of my heart. These wounds are not dealt with by developing defense strategies to make sure that never happens again. These wounds are dealt with when you begin to forgive. How many times do I need to forgive? Ask Jesus. Forgiving, strangely enough, enables you to trust others. And it frees you from cynicism. Let me give you a second part of the remedy. And it entails doing the hard work of love. It entails discernment. Going to look at the love chapter of the Bible in just a second, just one verse from 1 Corinthians 13. It's verse 7. I'm going to read to you in a moment. I was talking to someone and I got their permission to share this story. I'm going to share it without name and I might change some details so that we can protect them, but they're fine with me sharing it this way. I was talking to someone recently who'd been accused of a crime and naturally the news outlets published the charges and everyone got the news. It was in a small town and everybody knew the news and everyone naturally assumed the worst. And then sometimes later, after the investigation, after further investigation, the charges were dropped. Hmm. But who knows? Who knows that the charges are dropped these couple years later? Who's going to read that online or catch that in the news? Because the press is not going to post that as a lead story. 
The only people who will know that the charges were dropped after further investigation are those who love him enough to discern the truth about the situation. Those who are willing to do the hard work of love will discern the reality of his guilt or innocence. Hmm. And they'll be free of cynicism. In the love chapter of the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, in verse 7, we learn that, that love can be hard work. The Apostle Paul is writing and he says of love that it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. I don't hear a hint of cynicism in that verse. In fact, the love chapter is devoid of cynicism. And if you want to be free of cynicism, you will have to do the hard work of love. Sound dangerous? It is, unless you're walking close to the shepherd. And that's part three of the remedy for cynicism, to walk close to the shepherd. John 10 brings this to my mind, going to read verse 11 in just a moment. Over and over again, the Bible compares you and me to sheep. There are a lot of reasons for that, but I think one of the reasons is that sheep tend to be very vulnerable. In the past, we've talked about this, how foolish it would be for a lamb were a wolf to approach it to stand up on its back legs and go, you know, to fight. I'm going to fight you, wolf, you know. And, and we've said this before. You know what they call that lamb? Lunch. That's what they call that lamb. And yet, that's exactly what we're doing when we're allowing a defense mechanism of cynicism to kick in. We become lunch for the enemy. A better way, perhaps the only way to avoid cynicism, is for sheep to run to the shepherd. And that would be Jesus. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd in John ten eleven, And then he adds, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And he will defend you if you walk closely with him better than any construct of defense mechanism that you could possibly create. A couple years ago, one of the guys in my men's group and I wish I could remember for sure which one. They said to me, Steve, have you seen the movie Secondhand Lions? And I hadn't. And he said, oh, Pastor Steve, you should watch that movie. It's great. And he was right. Here, a couple years later, I finally sat down and watched it with my wife. And we both loved it. In that movie, there's a character who's played by Robert, Robert Duvall. And he's kind of an older gentleman. He's been around the world. And he's he's... He was a tough guy. It's a speech that he gives regularly, according to his brother. He gives it to young men. And i got to tell you, the speech isn't too bad at all. I want to read it to you. He says, Sometimes the things that may or may not be true are the things a man needs to believe in the most. That people are basically good. That honor, courage, and virtue mean everything. That the power of money, money and power, mean nothing. And that good always triumphs evil. And that love, true love, never dies. Do you hear what he's warning that young man against? Cynicism. And that's what I'm warning you against. That's what I want you to be free of. I want to pray for you today that you would believe the things that must be believed even when they don't appear to be true. And that you would find in people who are made in the image of God and some of whom are redeemed by the blood of Christ a sense of goodness 
that will warm your heart. I want to pray that you will believe that honor and virtue are indeed everything. And the power of money means nothing. And I want you to believe that good always triumphs over evil. And that love never dies. I want to pray that you would forgive those who have injured you. That you would do the hard work of love and discern. And that you would walk closely with the shepherd. Would you bow your heart with me as we pray to that end? Lord Jesus, we have all been through a year that has fed the cynicism that probably already lurked within us. We don't like to be cynical and we don't want to become bitter. And so I would pray, Father, that you would give us the power to forgive those who have injured you. You instruct us to do this, Jesus, and you would not instruct us to do that which we could not do by the power of your Spirit leaving living in us. So by the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, we do choose to forgive those who have injured us. And we will do the hard work of discerning, the hard work of love of discerning, not just writing this person off and shutting that person out, but discerning what's going on in their minds and in their hearts, not just labeling people as black and white, but rather understanding the shades of gray that exist in the hearts of all of us, even our own. And in the midst of all this, we would walk closely to you, Jesus, finding our sense of identity, our security, our hope, our love in you. For this is a prayer that we offer you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And as you walk into 2021, may you leave cynicism in 2020.